Hi everyone, uh, my name is Yubra Mutia. I am the host of Swadipa, the podcast, uh, The Audible African Woman. I am excited to be hosting a friend of mine and a colleague that I have known for a while in peace and security. Her name is Wevin Muganda and I will read her bio before we get into the conversation. Wevin, Asante, if you allow me, I will read your bio so that people can know who I am speaking to today. So Wevin Muganda is a human rights activist from Mombasa, Kenya. She currently works with the Global Network of Women Peace Builders, that is GNWP, as a Cora Wise Peace Building Fellow. Uh, through her blog, Beyond the Lines, that most of you might have seen on social media, she's changing and disrupting the narratives of world extremism through raising awareness and educating online community on how to enhance peace and security. In 2019, Awevin received the She Khan Award for her outstanding work in advancing human rights and increasing access to, just, to justice for women affected by violence. She co-led Mucho Aid Kenya, a COVID response initiative that supported communities in informal settlements of Mombasa and Nairobi with essential supplies, educational materials, and through political participation. She's part of the UNDP's Global Youth Program, 16 by 16, that supports 16 activists from all over the world in advancing SDG 16. She also serves in the advisory board of Mombasa Women's Social Justice Center, and she's passionate about peace and security and development. Bavin Karibusana, thank you so much. I'm happy that we could make it and that you were able to come to Nairobi eventually. Yeah. Um, just to give people a background of how I know you, I think yeah. I first met you through an interview process. And you, I think you you had just finished high school, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And I remember apologizing because the age limit did not allow you to take up the post, but I, I, uh, I, yeah. I kept an eye and I must say that I'm really proud of you and what you have. Uh, done. So today we are talking about young women in, uh, in government in peace processes, and I was I was reading and getting ready for this uh, this uh, podcast. I learned that uh, only is it six six percent? Uh, yeah. So in uh, peace processes uh, between nineteen ninety two and twenty nineteen, according to UN Women, mm-hmm. only thirteen percent um, of women. Uh, only 13% of the people involved were women um, and uh, only 6% were involved as mediators um, or as signatories to peace processes and 13% were involved as peace negotiators and, and this is quite a low number. If you're talking about uh, global peace processes and 13%, that's quite low uh, when you look at the contribution that women make and the numbers go even lower for young women uh, because of other challenges so you know maybe young women are not certified as mediators and not included in this uh, peace processes um, most of peace processes look at young women as um, beneficiaries rather than uh, actors, actors. Yeah, yes. actors yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's interesting that you say you know a major uh, these processes. Yeah. Uh, I think for us Kenyans, because we have not had, we've not lived in the time yeah. of war. Yeah. I think when we talk about peace processes, most of us uh, tend to think about post-election <coughs> violence. Yes. And I just, I was, you know, I was having a conversation with a former commissioner, and when we look at the peace processes we had as, as Kenyans, we don't see the role that women played. Yes. And but we had people like you know Tekla Namachanja. Yes. We had uh, the late uh, uh, Deka Ibrahim, mm-hmm. who played you know were part and parcel of the of the peace. Peace, uh, peace uh, deal, but we yeah. never saw their names embedded on somewhere. Yes, and I want one of the things that I would want to ask, and this applies for older women, uh, younger women, is what what are the social norms that we hold mm-hmm. that uh, 
do not allow us to see women as you know active actors, but see them only as beneficiaries. What what are those social norms? Um, I think the social norms, first of all, is just the the way in which we grow up seeing women or perceiving women. So we see women in um, local peace processes, but we do not view them as peace processes. When you look at family, in the, the context of families, women are the ones who hold families together. Uh, when you look at neighborhoods, they're the ones who you know keep communities together, but we don't view those processes as um, or their contribution as important or as uh, making meaningful contribution. And so even at the higher level where you're talking about national peace processes, it's very easy to overlook um, the role in which the women play. So the, the element of tokenism where you're involving particular women just to tick the box. Mm -hmm. And so even when the women are in the room, the because of... of their voices are overshadowed by everyone else. Um, and then also because of just how public opinion also, you know, public opinion shapes policy. So um, there's also that perception, what will people think if it's a woman that's um, negotiating a deal with mm -hmm. Somalia? Does that mean that people uh, are weaker space? Yes, so we're, we're always looking at women as the weaker, the weaker being. Um, and and the elements in which uh, make people make people view women like that are are actually the elements that make them the best peace builders and leaders. Mm. You're talking about empathy, you're talking about softness, um, being brave enough, and just having that kind heart. These are things that people perceive as weak, but when you're looking at leadership, especially in communities where you're dealing with diverse people, diverse challenges, these are the key elements, these, these are what make makes uh, the best leaders. And you can see it from how um, countries where women are leading, you can look at how they responded to the pandemic, how, how those countries are actually recovering. And when you look at countries where um, it's men in the leadership, it's very different because lead, women lead from a point of empathy. Now, it's the same, these this norms are this, like, like, you know, what, what you perceive as Weak is actually what makes uh, women strong. I know it sounds cliche, but no. it, it actually yeah, is um, is true. And then uh, something else is that uh, women are still underrepresented in every space, um, except in casual labor. Mm. That's where women are ex like you know the they are, they make up the majority of the population. So it is as though to say that we only appreciate uh, women when it's either unpaid labor or casual labor. But even in workspaces, even um, in governments, you can see how women take the heat when they make mistakes as compared to, to male, yeah, counterparts. male counterparts. And this is not to say that, you know, excuse women for their mistakes, but we're saying uh, let's have the same standard of integrity, let's have the same standard of leadership, because this then means that women can can get into more uh, decision making spaces. Yeah. yeah, and the more the more the merrier, because they represent a diverse group of women. Even I, as women, cannot say I speak for young women. Mm -hmm. I cannot so speak for I cannot even speak for young women from Mombasa. I cannot even you know. So there's there's all these um, demographics to individuals, and that's why. Um, there is an element of inclusion 
but there's element of representation. That's true. And most of the times you don't make it. Yeah, and sometimes we confuse the two. Yeah. yeah. So it's not enough to include us. We want to be represented in all our diversity. Yeah, that is true. But when you, when you talk about representation and inclusion, it brings me to the point where, uh, we, I mean, we have had this rhetoric of, you know, 60% of, you know, of uh, Africa's population is young. Yeah. Um, and therefore, I'm also, I have seen reports saying that, well, then this, that, if that is not tapped, it's, it's going to be problematic and it's going to be problematic in ways that affect peace and security. But then one, one question I have for you is that we tend to, most of these policies define youth as male. Mm-hmm. And so even when we talk about peace and security, yeah. uh, the eye view of what youth is, is male. Yeah. And then we talk about women, it's the older women, yeah. right? So it's that the younger woman who would like you, who wants to you know, be part and parcel of uh, peace building, or peace and security is almost left out. Yeah, and actually, it's left out. So, what 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 are the intersections that agencies or actors are missing? Yeah, in terms of meaningfully involving uh, the young women. Yeah. So there's there's that there's like uh, the youthful population, and even when you translate it to Swahili and you say kijana, most people when they say uyu kijana, it's always referring to a man. Mm. So it's it's. It's something that's so synonymous. Yeah. Yeah, it's synonymous to male youth. And then when people are saying now we need we need women, you you want the older women because you think they're more experienced. Yeah. Um they're maybe easier to work with because one when you're young it's most times you're radical. And then when you're a young woman, the challenges are so different. So your your passion to to do better to to change things, it's almost as though people cannot really contain and work with your energy. So there is that. Um, I, I think it's intentional to leave young women out, but then uh, there are also uh, oversights. So young people perceived as males, and then women, it's, it's, the, it's the older women. Yeah. Um, young women face uh, certain challenges that also um, exclude them socially. Um, there's societal norms like you're expected to get married so everyone is thinking your contribution will not last because it's just a matter of time you're facing out yes yeah. it's almost like your 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 prime uh, young women are looked at as there's a, there's a certain age where you're prime and after that there's no value how sad yeah how sad and um so Some when, are ridiculous. Yeah. yeah and and when you when when uh, when we're talking about decision making and and who should be in the room, who is not in the room, it's it's almost as though young women are struggling to find their space in the room. You're you're trying to prove that you can do it, um, as opposed to your male counterparts. Even in hiring, like oh she's young. Um, Many, many people actually, even in Kenya, they want to hire young women only because they are single and they can work longer hours. That's the only way you measure up to the potential of a Yeah, and so it's, it's just, I always say that it's not different in governments, in decision-making processes. Some of these practices, some of the ways in which we live our lives at home, in mm. our neighborhoods, translate in a, yeah, translate to... To that, because if you do not trust me enough in just an office setting, mm-hmm. then how would you trust me with your government? That's true. And we, we need to see how it translates to yes. The so that perception, uh, we need to look at women differently, and we need to look at young women 
more than just objects of marriage, sexual objects, you know, um, mothers to be. We need to just see them for who they are. And, um, yeah. and that sometimes is brilliant and merits and good things. Yeah. Now, there's a, you reminded me of a story that one of my older, yeah, now older, used to tell me, and I think she read it from a book from Toni Morrison. She said, you know what, in African contexts, uh, older women are given more respect than yes. the younger men. Yeah. And so for her, she learned how to dress up as an old woman. She'd wear wigs. Yeah. And only because she wanted to say something and be heard, because she was leading a production unit. And every time she spoke to the younger men, as a young girl, no one would hear her. Yeah. But if she disguised herself as, a, as an older woman, yeah. and you know, hold her hands to her waist. And I found that ridiculous, but every time <laughs> I think about it, every time I think about myself, yeah. I wish I knew that trick. Uh, but away from, you know, across of life, I will ask this. Conflict has uh, changed in many ways. Um, so I think one of the things that we saw as a headliner in Kenya is when young women, you know, had gone to Somali and yeah. others were on their way to Syria. Uh, and I don't. And when uh, you and I have worked, worked in informal settlements, I keep saying that worse, that is not. Uh, it doesn't not make headlines or makes headlines once in a while because I think I saw a story in the Standard or the Nation recently. Women are now part of armed conflict or all armed groups. We see them either as part of gangs or actually playing active roles in violent extremist groups. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think policy has caught up with that, or even pa- uh, public perception. What, is, what would you say about, you know, why are we missing this? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, uh, for young women, the motivation to join extremist groups is, is quite different. I'd say, uh, from my experience, young women are lured into these groups for material gain or um, as a way of, um, I don't know how to put it, but you're recruited to be a wife to the soldiers, yeah. to the poor fighting, or you're recruited. So, so that applies to to women maybe from from lesser uh, privileged backgrounds, and then you have those who are you know well educated elite young women who are recruited then to provide services like nursing, doctors. Yeah. Uh, but basically, you can see that the role is as caregivers and not really as active frontline, you know, on, on the front lines. I haven't actually heard of women at the front lines. They, there's that talk, but there isn't research that says, you know, women now are at the front lines. Front line because even the extremist groups, how they work is very, it's deeply entrenched in patriarchy. That is true. That is really true. And and that's so they still perceive these women as caregivers. They they still uh see see them as, you know, um supporting us in this in this fight. So for 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 young women I, I think I can say that uh, the numbers are not very high but they're increasing. Mm-hmm. They're not alarmingly high, but the numbers are getting higher as we go by. For some, it's for revenge. Um, I think at the coast of Kenya and Northeastern, you, we, we've um, heard of where f- families, all sons and the fathers are taken by whoever, mostly just forcefully disappeared. And um, they never return. So you find the wives or the daughters joining these groups to seek revenge or to continue with the mission, especially if their relatives were actively involved and they knew this information. So they see this as taking up the the baton and continuing with um, the fight. So we see the same social norms play out even with 
exactly okay. exactly okay. and and also this norm and I'll speak again to the the, the push around young women getting married and I, when you're given an opportunity to get married to a fighter it is very different mm. um, especially if you grow up all your life thinking you're a second second class uh, yeah. person that and here is a chance for you to actually be part of you know a, a big story you know yeah. uh, so because they see themselves as heroes so yeah, it's exactly. it's very psychological yeah. and it's it, i i see it as a trauma response actually um so there's that or you've been so um closed and now here's an opportunity for you to finally be away from people who've been controlling you not knowing that you're going to have the same control in the perhaps in more yeah because the the how the how they recruit is brainwashing and they promise you better but in reality it's it's not a better life yeah yeah well it's it's good to get the clarification about the roles that women play in armed conflicts um is it the same with you know the locally bred gangs yeah so like when i used to work with the gang groups in Mombasa we had uh, young girls and the girls were were way younger than the boys actually oh, really yes why is it so um i think because some of the boys who are also young like teenagers uh they would be looking for sort of girlfriends oh okay yeah and then uh so the younger the more impression of yes okay um and then also it's just it's just that puberty stage as well so just the same way a 16 year old boy would have like a 14 year old oh, yeah. girlfriend it plays out yeah same. so it just it plays out the same but one thing that i found interesting is that uh, in in one of these groups the girls were used to 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 set the trap what do you mean set the trap because you would trust a 14 year old girl more than a 14 year old boy so they'd be ah, like, the idea, baits. yeah, they're baits. They they uh-huh. talk to you so that uh, they can distract you, so that the boys can like you know stab you or whatever. Sad how the social norms play out even in such spaces. Yeah, because, like, we tend to you know want yeah. to take care of girls. Yes, yes. You want to protect them. You're wondering, well, why is she studying in in a dark alley alone at night? So you know that intuition. It's it's really so twisted. That is true. That yeah. Is true. Yeah, and it takes me back to why a friend of mine keeps saying he doesn't forgive himself for ever leaving a girl uh, on the road. And yeah, she didn't know whether she was safe or not, but yeah. she had had enough. He had had enough of those stories that he, yeah. he and didn't know what he was. And it plays into. out also in the the bigger groups like Al Shabaab mm-hmm. women. I think there was a story of the black widows is white widows. Yeah, yeah. And security wise, I think the men will tell you when they walk into buildings, they go through more scrutiny than women. So is so it's the same mentality that extremist groups are using like you know if you go in as a woman you're less likely to be suspected. And then the, most times um the, the this security is not gender friendly. So I can easily say no you can't search me. I, I need a woman to search me. And if there's security guys are men. men. Yeah. Yeah. So if there aren't any men to search me then I'll pass and you don't know what I'm carrying, you don't know how um um I mean, just another example, I think in Nairobi, uh, there was a time a man was dressed as a woman and they would lure other men into hotel rooms yeah. and steal from them. Yeah. So it's, 
Yeah, and that's, that's a best story to tell when we look at how uh, we play ourselves by you know sub- uh, subscribing to some of the social norms. Yeah, when you think a woman is weak, but yeah, you you actually think I'm weak. Okay, just wait and find out. And so it's yeah, and the the, the gums have actually exploded that. Oh, I think that would be research. I always say that uh, extremist groups and gangs are always ahead of us because they are always trying to recruit the best brains. They are heavily financed. Like, and when you have money, you can control a lot of things. You can buy the best talent. You can buy the most dangerous weapons. You can hide. And in a country that's uh, that really. A lot of people um, benefit from corruption. You can buy the system. That is true. So you you've bought your own protection. You can buy the judge, and and so it becomes very difficult to even get justice. Yeah. And when you say that uh, extremist groups or violent groups are usually ahead of us, it's it's it beats me how they are effectively able to analyze our cultural norms. Yeah. And you know maximize on that, and I think that's one of the things that. Workers or in peace building or governments or agencies yeah. are actually missing. Like we don't pay attention enough attention yeah. for to to the cultural social uh, yeah. the social cultural factors. Yeah, and I think generally peace building work is most I'd say most is anchored on totally different uh, things. And then we have extremists and we have peace builders. Mm. The way I see it, we're supposed to be on the same path, using the same narratives but pushing for a different agenda tell me more the same way um so when you're looking at young people uh most of these guns the, the the young men mostly i talk to they're like they're looking for you know how you're radical you you want to be hard mm-hmm. but you feel like you're too poor you're too small yeah. for this country to listen to you but yeah. The, but if you stab someone with like a bicycle spoke, that's gonna be news in KTN tomorrow. That's true. Now, peace building should be about transforming that power that you, those young people have. Mm. How do you transform that power? How do you transform the power of the gun? Because the gun gives these young people power. Oh, it true. gives them this agency, a feeling of yes, yeah. I am powerful. I can do something. I, you know, it it just takes me. Um, one act for this because whole community to stop and want to be want to find me, want you know just they want to know who I am. Yeah, and you'd be surprised. That's just what young people want. Some of these young people in groups, they just want to belong to to be heard. They want to know that someone cares, and you don't have that. And it's worse when you come from uh, informal settlements. Informal settlements. Oh, yeah. It's it's very difficult because even in social settings, even the way we socialize is that the higher social capital you have, the more respect you have, and the more power to do things. I mean, a easy example is how what do you do? Because then they can know how to treat you, how to talk to you. So imagine asking someone school. like, "What do what do you do?" They're not in school. Mm. They don't have a job. They, their family, that's a broken family. So it's there's nothing to me other than if I pick up a weapon, then there's something. So how do you how do you make their voice matter? How 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 do you show them that they are important? 
that That's their true. contribution is valued. That if and when they are able to get out of these difficult living situations, that they will be valued. Because I remember one of them asking me, uh, like, you know, we are here, we're talking about this, but even you, you're crying about the government and you're in a way better That's situation. Yeah. Than you are. So is there really any hope? Is oh wow, that's a hard question. Is 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 there anything for us, especially uh, young people? When I don't know, it sometimes even myself, it really puts me down. But I think that we have to keep trying, and we have to give young people options. These options could be sports, it could be art, it could be uh, I don't know. Just give them something to do. Have them do something. It's not even about the income. It's about them being productive and feeling like, yeah, we we actually, yeah, I'm meaning to. Yeah. yeah the, meaning this meaning of what yeah. it is. I, I'm going to say that because I think I, for the longest time, I have uh, shied away from quoting research that show that because you're economically deprived, yeah. therefore then you're likely to join uh, another yeah. group or a multi service group. Because I, I don't think well, I, yeah, I it's not one hundred percent true, but it's a contributor. It's, it's a contributor, yeah. Yeah. but then it's that what, what you explained is that there must we have left young people to uh, a highly concentrated lack of power. I mean, feeling of powerlessness. Yeah, you know whether it's meaningful participation in politics, whether yeah. it's you know the the quality of services they get mm-hmm. in terms of you know public services, yeah. like, you know um, schools, hospital, that they actually feel helpless, and so. As yeah. you said earlier, for them to feel like you know meaningful or powerful, yeah. they end up going to the yeah. other side of the spectrum. How are we like the biggest population, but also the poorest? Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, yes, we live in a democracy, so the systems. Um, I think this the way the system is set up is such that young people continue to be at the mercy of those who, and if we don't deal with this, then we get older and become the old people that we used to hate. Yeah, that's true. Which is sad. Yeah. Yeah. Which is sad. And now we have seen that replaced over and over. Now before we use the track about young people, you know, go to young people and you know talk about young uh, uh, women specifically. Yeah. I would ask I mean looking at the participation of I mean I am proud of you know where you've come. I mean we we're going we're going to talk about your recent job and how that has changed in terms of perspective. Yeah. But what what's your boldest, what's your boldest solution to some of these things? You know, I mean, young people in general in terms of yeah. participation in peace and security, but also the place of a young woman in peace and security. I think my solution to every problem is caring together for one another. Mm. And um, I feel like it's simple, but it's very radical because we live in a world where we are looking out for me. What's in it for me? Uh, what do I get? It's me, me, me. And we forget that we don't live in isolation. We live in communities. And that the challenges that we face are because there are people in our communities that are not cared for. That's true. So the, we don't realize that um, we're in this difficult situation. Like... We, we we work, we earn money, but we don't see the value of it. We we, we don't... I mean, you're talking about uh, water shortage. You're talking about 
a housing problem. So all these all these challenges until we realize that we are so interconnected and so interdependent and really we can't solve everything without including everyone. That's true. And when you say that, what what brings me to is that we tend to see security as an end to something. Yeah, it's we are, we are preventing post-election violence or mm-hmm. preventing that, but we don't realize that the work that, that the work that is needed between now yeah. and the next event, which could be violence, which is equity, which yes. is consideration, as inclusion, we said, which is inclusion, because these are the things that trigger violence. Why do why do I need to fight you? Mm. Why do I need? I feel the scarcity. I have to get rid of you for me to uh, to live. Uh, tribalism is like the best example in Kenya of exclusion. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And it's others it's, feel it's, like they're lesser tribes. Yeah. They're not included in government. They're not included even in in workspaces. They're not in. It's about inclusion. So if it's if you're talking about tribes, and this is a question that you, you and I may not have an answer to, um, if if you're at the point where you're talking about tribes, when do we reach the woman in Kenya? Like if you were still, the conversation is still about ethnicities and social classes. Yeah, you know. I so. think as a generation, we're really trying. And, yeah. Uh, I'm a millennial, and I think that millennials are in little ways and in very unique ways dealing with this tribalism issue. We are dating different races. We we are going to school with different uh, tribes. Our best friends are from different tribes. Honestly, like can't remember the last time I don't I don't even think if I have a oh well I do. But it's not usually the determining factor of the friendships. Of friendships, of any relationship or even um workspaces. So every generation and, and I think Gen Z is even better. The TikTok generation do you think they're more inclusive they're more they're more they get to include younger women. Yeah. Like if you go to TikTok and a lot of couples that do TikTok videos it's interracial Couple. That is true. So you can see that it's these small things because the way we, we grow up, the things we see on our TV, the things we see on our screens, these are the things that shape our perspectives on life. So do you think that our generation Z is in the offices and managers who will perhaps have more women? I think so. In the space? I think so. Because uh, young women are really pushing. I think... I I know so many young women that are just doing above and beyond. That's true. I think we are we have refused to be put down by the system mm-hmm. and we are fighting. We shouldn't have to. But I, I hear you. Yeah, we shouldn't have to, but that is our reality. So there's more hope that more women more young women will be positioned. Yeah. Power. And, and 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 I only say that uh, the the women who make it to bigger rooms have the obligation to bring in more women.